I want to say good morning to our deaf ministry over here. So love you guys and good to see all of you this morning. If you're joining us online, we welcome you. Thankful that you are part of our service. Welcome to those of you in the house. If you have a copy of God's Word in print or digital form, take it and join me in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at a few verses together in just a moment. Imagine for a moment that you are fully aware and you know that your life is in grave danger. The circumstances may be surrounding you, whatever is happening in your life, you simply are very aware that your life is in danger, but at the same time, you are confident in what you are facing and confident that this is something you must endure and go through. Those are the same feelings that Jesus expresses to us and his heart to his disciples Almost quoting verbatim the psalmist in Psalm chapter 42, verses 5 and 11. They nearly read identical. The psalmist says, why are you in despair, my soul? Why are you restless within me? Wait for God, for I will again praise him for the help of his presence, my God. The writer and author, Alan Cole, he reminds his readers about the power of this passage in Psalms. And he says this, the quotation from Psalm 42.5 and 42.11 is doubly suitable. He says the psalm not only expresses the soul's deep longing for God, but it also contains within it the last clause of each of the two verses both an affirmation of faith and a promise of deliverance. He goes on to say, so at the very moment when it seems to us that Jesus must be perplexed, he is the most conscious by faith of God's ultimate vindication. And these are the moments, these are the emotions that we experience, not only this morning, but on every occasion when we journey on the road through the garden. Would you stand in honor of reading God's word and we will read aloud together Mark chapter 14 beginning in verse 32 and read through verse 42. The words will be on the screen for us. They came to a place named Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. 
And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. And let me encourage you to take your listening sheet as we journey on the road through the garden. The emotion of Jesus, I think, here is something that we can all identify with. Mark explains to us in verse 34 that Jesus says, I am deeply grieved. I am deeply distressed to the point of death. And seeing Jesus pray in this way is, presents to us the, the seriousness and the magnitude of the moment and the cross that awaited the Christ. Donald English explains it this way. Whichever way we interpret the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane, the seriousness of the occasion must be underlined. It is not a drama acted out for the benefit of the faithful. It represents a real struggle by Jesus who alone on earth knew what was involved. He knew his life was in danger and his life would end. Yet he said, I must go to the cross. So the road through the garden requires this first thought, support in the time of sorrow. Jesus wanted his friends, his disciples, his companions to be with him during this emotional experience and this road that he was on. He needed their support in a deep time of sorrow. I think you and I as humans long for the same thing when we are struggling, when we are wrestling with difficult decisions and the circumstances are not good no matter what, but I've got to go forward. We don't think much about this, but you realize Jesus had a need for friends. In his deep humanity, he had a need for fellowship and for support and for people. We would refer to this as a ministry of presence in the ministry circles. Jesus tells eight of the disciples to sit here while I pray. Be within my presence. And sometimes in the ministry of presence, we don't know what to say, do we? The silence we feel we need to break. And sometimes you just need to spend time with someone while they are suffering. In their times of sorrow and difficult moments, saying nothing is exactly what you need to say. And allow the person to hurt and to engage in their feelings and their emotions and just sit, be a part 
of their life. That's why we have life groups on Sunday morning. That is one of the true ministries of a life group is being present. And Jesus brings along, though, these three guys, this inner circle of his that he had, and he invites them to go deeper into the garden with him. And he just simply desired for people to be surrounded by him. But he was also doing something very unique and very special as he is preparing them for leadership when he's gone. He is engaging them in his own struggle so that when they face their struggles, they'll be able to endure the time of sorrow and suffering that will come. I mean, remember, Peter had proclaimed earlier in the upper room that he would never leave Jesus. A few weeks ago, we looked at the passage in Mark chapter 10 where the sons of thunder, James and John, brazenly claim before Jesus that they indeed can drink the cup. And so now Jesus gives them a chance to back up their words. The Jason International Version says, how big a boy are you? All right. You say you can drink it? All right then. You say you never leave me? All right then. In my greatest, deepest moments of struggle, don't give me any words of advice. Just sit here and be in the moment. Suffer alongside of me. My soul is sorrowful and grieved to the point of death. That's all you need to know. In the midst of sorrow, though, he tells them, remain here and keep watch. We might easily look past those words, but it is a command in the present tense in the original Greek text, and it is reminding us that there are times when we are struggling with a fellow sojourner that our watch over them is important. To remain by their side as they traverse the road through their garden experiences is important that we keep watch over our fellow friends. Because the road through the garden reflects the second thought this morning, a period of struggle through suffering. I mean, Jesus is fully aware of the cup he must drink. But his request is one that I think, again, we identify with. We identify with his emotions in the moment of heartache and struggle, but we identify with this request. God, is there any other way? Jesus is saying, in this time that I've been on planet Earth, have you come up with plan B? Is there a chance that there's a different path, a, a different road? And his request, my friends, is not in opposition to the Father's will. We might be thinking that, that Jesus is somehow pushing back against what God wants him to do, but rather he understands the horror of death that he is about to face. In this brief insight into this intimate prayer of Jesus, it shines a light for us as followers and believers of Christ in the cost of our redemption, but also the nature and humanity 
of the God-man. You've come into your prayer closet. You've said the same thing. In the time of sorrow and difficulty, in the moments of struggle and the circumstances, and you say, God, is there any other way? Is there another option? And it is in that moment that we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to answer in the way that Jesus answered, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. If this is it, if this is the only way, God, I will do it your way. Made me think of a time when I was a teenager, and I don't know if my mom had this on a... um, something on the refrigerator or if I saw it somewhere else it said when all else fails do it the way your mother told you to do it a bunch of moms stand up in church and say amen Jesus is saying when all else fails when all the other options that you've tried or hoped would happen do it God's way anyway Do it the way that he had planned for you to do it all along. You made the request, you made the appeal, but the answer is, God, I'll do it your way. Jesus' prayer is rooted in doing the will of the Father, not in opposition, even if it leads to certain suffering even if it leads to his death. You see, we are not called to trust in freedom from suffering. We are called to accept that we won't have to suffer forever. Alan Cole, I mentioned earlier, he says these words, it, is, it was not possible for Jesus to be the Christ and avoid drinking the cup. For it would have been a contradiction in terms. Mark chapter 15 verse 32, the priest will challenge Jesus to come down off the cross if he really is who he says he is, if he really is the Christ. But you realize, had he come down from the cross, he could have never been and no longer would have been the Christ. For the Christ by definition must suffer. And so he endures it knowing he would suffer, knowing his pending fate. I mean, he even predicted this moment several times before it arrived. Yet now on the road through the Garden of Gethsemane, it suddenly becomes very real. You felt that way? You know the decision you have to make. You know the pending outcome. It's just all of a sudden, the reality of it has hit you right in the face. And there is no other way. I must choose this path. I must walk this road. And even though he knew what was coming, the anticipation of the moment, the physical, emotional, spiritual pain is almost unbearable. God, is there any other way? In Isaiah the prophet, chapter 51, verse 22, it calls this cup that must be drank the cup of staggering And he realizes the staggering drink that he will drink. The full fury of righteous, undiluted wrath of God is about to be unleashed on the one who was sinless. 
and the road cannot be avoided. There is not a different path that can be chosen by a follower of Christ. You walk the road of suffering. And Jesus' willingness to endure real emotional hardship must not be lost on us as we look towards Easter. We cannot simply go past this. No, the suffering in the garden church produced the salvation of mankind. And so the road through the garden resulted in, thirdly, a sacrifice for sinners. As we look into this cup, and Jesus, our Savior, looks beyond the sin and the suffering, he realizes at the bottom of the cup, when he drinks all of it, that he will be the final sacrifice. He knew that in a few hours he was going to be slain as the sacrificial lamb of God, his blood satisfying the righteous demands of God's justice for all sinners. And so through the road of the Garden of Gethsemane, an intimate look at this prayer of Jesus and his willingness to sacrifice, it indicates for us, family, the depth of love that Jesus had for the Father and the depth of love that the Father has for us. Look in the cup and you see the depth of love the Son had for Abba. I'll do it anyway. And the depth of love that the Father has for you. God, I'll do it anyway. Without Jesus' death, we would never be set free from sin and experience this intimate, personal relationship with God. Jesus knew when he went to the cross and took the full force of sin and betrayal, the Father would be glorified and we might become sons and daughters of a living God. Amen? Man, Jesus anticipates this cup, though. A cup of sin and suffering and sacrifice and separation and salvation, verbalizing his willingness of submission, following his surrender to the will of the Father. God, I'll do it your way. And he chooses to walk the road to Easter. And in verse 42, he goes to the sleepy ones and he says, rise, let's go. See, Jesus entered the garden very sorrowful, but he exits the garden strengthened for the sacrifice. Jesus is resolute, and he voluntarily chooses to line up his will under the Father's will. And isn't that the ultimate goal of our personal prayer lives? When we go into our prayer closets, isn't it the ultimate goal to come out of that closet and out of that garden experience lined up with what the Father wants us to do? God, you've heard my cry. I understand. I'll do it your way. Listen to these closing words of one author, it's powerful. He says, the battle at the garden was won. 
You may have thought it was one on Golgotha. You may have thought the sign of victory is simply an empty tomb. No, the battle was won in Gethsemane. And the sign of conquest is Jesus at peace in the garden. For it was in the garden that he made this decision. Are you ready? That he would rather be put to death for you than return to heaven without you. He realizes there is no other way for the sons and daughters to spend eternity in heaven with me and dad unless I do it dad's way. And he'd rather be put to death, friends, than to return to heaven without you. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, the road through the garden makes Easter all the more beautiful. But it was the willingness to endure the suffering that reminds us of the depth of love that the Father has for his children. And God, you would rather put your son on a cross than have your son return to your side without your children. And God, we declare that we are grateful. And yes, the road and the garden and those experiences of suffering and sorrow and difficulty does not make it any easier. But God, we declare that we believe it and we will do it. We align our will with your will. We declare that you are good. And so Father, after we have made our pleas, would you remind us that your way is better. My friends, as you pray where you're at and those online, as you pray, maybe today God has spoken to your heart and mind and you have never received and accepted this love that the Father has for you. Today may be the day of salvation for you. And you would say, God, I've tried to do it my way for a long time, but I realize through the grace of the garden that you've given me eternal life. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior and I choose today to do your will from this day forward. If that's you, in a moment, we're gonna stand and sing and our ministers will be across the front and they would love to welcome you and encourage you and pray with you. Maybe you would rather do that in a slightly different way and you can exit out the back and wonderful people at the Welcome Center are ready to receive you and pray with you and encourage you. Maybe you've made that decision before, but you're here today and you're going through the garden and you've been longing for the ministry of presence of somebody just to sit with you and to watch over you. They don't have to say a word. We have a life group for you. A place where you can experience the struggles together and the realness and the difficulties of this world. Maybe you've yet to follow through in believer's baptism or be a part of local church. We invite you today. Whatever decision that God would have you make and the prompting of the Spirit that you would say, God, I'll do it your way. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for the, the life and the work that you are doing in this, in this congregation, in this church family. And we declare at Hunter's Glen,